welcome back to Tennis Near the Gods. I'm Alex, joined with my brother Nicholas. And today we're going to be kind of recapping the U.S. Open and previewing the rest of the season to come, especially with the new schedule changes that um, the ATP has brought. So, obviously starting off, Carlos Alcaraz, U.S. Open champion, defeats Kasparud in the final. We're having a new number one in the world today. Um, and number two, Kasparud. Um, so, yeah, a lot of... I thought, for me, I thought it was very exciting U.S. Open, um, especially given how the draw shaped out. Um, what's happened in some of these majors, I think it's gotten boring towards the, kind of the middle part of the tournament as some major seeds have dropped out. But this, this year, I thought uh, some new players filled that void and made the, made the tournament pretty exciting, um, especially since a lot of the bigger names were not um, seen later in the draw, like Medvedev, you obviously don't have Zverev in the tournament. This is past lost early, um, and so that was really good to see, and it, and it made it really fun to watch. So I thought it was a very underrated U.S. Open in terms of like watching from match to match. It was I thought it was pretty exciting. I don't know what what do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of concern that with like the big four uh, going out and sort of starting to see these younger guys come in and fill their sp- spots that they're not going to be able to really uh, stand their ground and be able to attract all that attention and produce the same amount of excitement that we saw with Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, and Federer. But, I mean, you still have guys like Alcaraz. I mean, you could throw Kyrgios in. It's, it may not be the same bunch, and we're still trying to figure out who, like what group of like a couple guys are going to be there at the top for the next 5-10 years. Um, but I think that sort of adds the excitement because you do see uh, Francis Tiafoe making a semifinal and beating Nadal. You see, uh, obviously, Carlos Alcaraz jumping from four to one in the world, the youngest world number one on the ATP side ever. Um, Nick, Nick Kyrgios is now in the running to win Grand Slams, right? We hope for this to happen maybe a couple of years back, but we sort of didn't really expect it. Um, so it's great to see. And like Kasparud is now consistently performing at the high level. It's not like he's just uh, staying at the 250 level and just uh, wrapping, racking up wins there. He's really um, starting to push forward. And I mean, he's earned world number two spot. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you, you look at it like Taylor Fritz lost early. That was someone who who's supposed to be a big favorite coming into the U.S. Open. Uh, Ubi Urkacz lost early as well um he finaled in montreal so a, a lot of a lot of upsets early on and as you said guys like francis francis tiafa really carried the tournament i thought it was a huge storyline throughout so i think that played a large part into it um because just based off of like hair and hatchet off in the semifinals i mean i enjoy watching him but in terms of excitement general excitement he's not carrying the tournament felix lost early too like so many guys went out early, um, and I was just really surprised how it it, it continued to be entertaining throughout. Um, and again, large part into the large part to those guys like Kyrgios, Francis Tiafoe, who have really kind of are unique in the way that they engage the crowd. Um, another guy, Sinner, uh, I, I had him going far, but he, he's he's very exciting, young guy, fun to watch. So tennis seems to be in a good place. I, I was a bit worried, um, but I think this tournament kind of showed that, all right, um, 
even with the big guys out, tennis is going to be very exciting. And this, and, and again, Carlos Alcaraz is a, is a different. He's a general gener, generational talent. So that's a little bit different. But with him and the the whole cast of supporting guys uh, surrounding, like, tennis is going to be exciting. So uh, I'm looking forward to to the tournaments come and and the years to come. So yeah, and you mentioned Yannick Sinner, and I just see like a really great budding rivalry between Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner. I mean, if you watch that match, it's the latest match uh, on Ash ever, um, going five sets. Uh, Alcaraz saved a match point in the fourth set. Um, so that his run to being world number one could have stopped easily been stopped there by Yannick Sinner. Um, but like with that type of excitement, and I think they're just going to really start to push each other and sort of help each other improve just by uh, like raising their own levels. Um, and... I'm really excited for the, especially for like the next year to come to see how the two sort of progress and develop, especially at such a young age, Carlos being 19 and Yannick Sinner being what, like 21. Um, so yeah, and moving forward with the rankings, you see Carlos Alcaraz at one, Casper Ruud at two, and then you guys have guys like Nadal who's dropped to three, Djokovic not playing uh, the past two Grand Slams has dropped to, or sorry, the past, like the US Open and the Australian Open, he's now at seven in the world, right? So there's a lot of room for younger guys to be pushing up and to be making their runs. And the points are, the distribution of points is really flattening out, right? You're not having like a Djokovic having that year where he got 16,000 points and everyone else was like maybe at 5,000 at number two in the world, right? So there's a lot of points to be had. And I think it's great. You're going to see, I think one thing though, with y- in terms of Yannick Sinner, which is a little bit unfortunate, as much as I think he's really improved throughout the year, he's still sitting at 14 in the race to London and the race to turn, right? And he's not going to be, I don't think he's really in the running right now uh, to make it. Even though the gap is still small, there's not that Masters 1000 in Shanghai anymore. You only have one in Paris. Uh, in the fall with the schedule change. So it's going to be more difficult uh, for guys to push up uh, and take advantage of like that Masters 1000 like before. Um, but next year, I really see him um, like reaching top five, top three in the world. Yeah, I, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the next couple months, especially because there's no Shanghai and what player schedules are going to be like because you have you still have the two the 500 in tokyo but they also put one in kazakhstan which is kind of bizarre um random place so you wonder who's going to play what also if you look at it rafa nadal is still in the running to be world end number one so you wonder if what his strategy is whether that's something he's going for taking care of the body you would think it's a priority because I mean that's pretty prestigious finishing the year being the year end number one. So how how does he approach that? Um, I think when you look at the race to London, it's different than obviously the singles rankings, the last singles rankings. But Andre Rublev, I think he had a really tough kind of hard hardcore swing, and even though he lost to Foe um, in the quarterfinals, and now he's what zero and six in quarterfinals. Um, I think he's six in the race to London. He is someone I, I, I hope can make a push, especially when they move indoors. Being being the big hitter that he is, playing playing flatter through the court, I think he makes a push. It's going to be interesting to see how Zverev comes back. He 
just pulled out of Davis Cup, which is this week, um, because I guess he pushed his body too hard and he's in a lot of pain again. So how, how he comes back, how Felix ends the season, I mean, he's so up and down. But again, he's seven in the race to London. I think there's a lot of room for movement there and who, who comes in. I, I think the top, obviously, is pretty solidified when you look at it with Alcaraz and all, Rude, uh, Stefanos, Daniel Medvedev, but um, it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of room for movement there. I mean, Fritz can still make a move. He's a big big server, big hitter. I mean, Ubi Urkacz being at nine, he's kind of he always slides under the radar though. Um, and then and then Cam Norrie is is in contention again. He's as solid as ever. Um, and then same with Pablo Carina Busta and Matteo Berrettini. So what, so what do you think about Nick Kyrgios's end of the season, right? There's no more Grand Slams, obviously. That big stage is, for the most part, in terms of Grand Slams, is gone. How do you think he's going to approach these next 8 to 12 weeks? I mean, you look at it, he's 18 in the race to London. I mean, who knows what he's playing? I did see something on his Instagram random enough of him saying he's going to Tokyo, so maybe he plays Tokyo, like, who knows? But then again, you also have to realize he's six in the race to, uh, not race to London, but race to Turin in doubles. So that's something that's very feasible. So is he going to play that Masters 1000 in Paris? You you would think so, but who knows? I mean, he he's he's all over the place, and he, and he cares a lot, obviously, now, too, and he, he's trying to prove a lot of people wrong. Um so that's something that you can never predict, I feel like. But I, I hope that he's playing some tournaments. Uh, maybe the, the 500 in Tokyo and, and, and the 1,000 in Paris. And I'd love to see those two playing doubles in turn. I think it makes it very exciting. And it would get a lot more people watching, too. So, Yeah, no, definitely. And I see like guys like Matteo Berrettini, who has... And same with like Marin Cilic, who I think they will have some great success indoors in the fall. Um, and I think that they're going to push up and maybe even be in contention because uh, right now, if if Zverev is healthy, he'll get in, but I'm not so sure how healthy he will be in order to perform at a level where he's adding to his point total, right? Because Matteo Berrettini is only 500 points below uh, eighth place in the race. So there's... A very small gap between players who are like 15 in the world and number eight. Uh, so I think it's going to be a real toss up. And I think you will see like one or two guys like a Berrettini or a Chilich or a Pablo Crane Busta who will push into the top eight and make turn. Yeah, and th- there's a lot of movement kind of in the, in the, in the 20 to 30 range, you know? You have Chorch, who not like is he gonna back up that Masters one thousand title? Is he gonna produce that level? He um who who knows what his schedule like. The the whole Davis Cup, this is this is one issue I have being spread out and and throughout the like it it, it throws off the schedule because these guys, like the Americans are now they're now in what, Ireland or Dublin or whatever and, and, and then they probably some of them are gonna go back and play in San Diego. So, and then, and then there's, then you go over to Korea, like the, the, the locations for these tournaments is all over. It's bizarre how they, how they ended up scheduling this. I understand that the whole thing with China threw, 
through a wrench in, in what is the normal schedule. But it's going to be interesting to see how players manage kind of the travel with with all these kind of places that they're going to be being sent to. So um, I think there is a lot of room for kind of crazy, crazy stuff to happen to, to make the race a little more interesting. I think, again, as I've said, it's solidified at the top, but kind of who fills in there and who makes a big push at the end. I mean, Tommy Paul, I know I'm big fan of him obviously but he's made a big push he's been playing better and better ever since Wimbledon he's really ever since coming off the clay he's been he's been playing better and better had a very good match against Casper Ruud um arguably should have won that match having served for it um 40 love up in the third loses that set and then wins the fourth um to force a fifth but how, how he plays towards the end of the year he has that Stockholm title to defend if Francis Tiafoe continues the form that he's in, um, there's a there's a lot of exciting storylines I think in men's tennis right now, and it's it's exciting to see. So I'm looking forward to it. And for sure. And lastly, I'm really looking forward to seeing like five to six new locations for 250s and 500s. I mean, Nur Sultan in Kazakhstan has had plenty of challengers, but it'll be the first time with an ATP event, at least in from my knowledge, and then you've got a new 250 in Spain, you've got Florence, you have Naples, San Diego, a tournament in the US, which is gonna be great, Tel Aviv. So there's a lot of variety now, especially since obviously Russia, there are no tournaments in Russia and China this year. Um, So I'm excited for the fall. Um, And do you have any last thoughts, Alex? No, I I think that pretty pretty much sums it up, obviously. Um, New world number one. I, I think Casper being number one would have been a little bit odd given that his biggest title I was made aware of was a 250. Um, so that would have been crazy, just a 250, 250 king turn Grand Slam champion, but nothing in between. Um, so I, I mean, I'm happy that it was it was Carlos, um, especially because he, he does attract so much more attention and... But again, Casper Casper being world, world number two is pretty awesome too. So I'm excited. Um, it's kind of like the changing of the guard, and and hopefully there's some more exciting tennis to come. Yeah, and thank you for listening, and tune in next week for some predictions of the following tournaments.